Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. Life is just a big treasure hunt and I'm just looking for the treasure as I go. Through leaning into what I was good at and what I liked doing, I performed better and better. Think about what advantages do you have over the other candidates? What can you bring that's different to someone else? And make sure you really emphasize that. But we need to stop and recognize these patterns and work on ourselves in order to be better in how we relate to other people. Welcome to episode 71 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Our guest today is Emily West. I wanted to thank all the listeners for their amazing support of the podcast and YouTube channel. Please note that in this episode, we may touch on mental health and wellness topics purely in general terms. If you have specific issues or concerns, please contact a suitable professional. Now back to the show. Emily is a good friend of Reframe and Reset Your Career and previously appeared on episode nine and the bonus episode, which was in our top five most downloaded episodes. It's great to have her back to talk careers, personal development, and also her first book. Hi, Harsha. It's so great to be back here. I was actually telling Jenny, my business manager, that I wrote the book just so I'd have another excuse to come on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So here I am. So Emily, I'm a big fan of the arts. Is there a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share with us? I'm not great at reading uh, fiction, I have to say. It's part of my job. I just end up reading nonfiction. So I'm going to share a book. I don't know whether you how you call it in the arts, but it's a book called The Untethered Soul. And I've got my beaten up copy here. And this was it. This has been the top five books that changed my life. It's by Michael Singer. And it's I mean, I'd say it's really a book about meditation and mindset, but it's really a book about letting go and not trying to determine how your life turns out and not thinking there's just one right answer to everything, but really seeing how it unfolds and life being a bit of an adventure. So I think if anyone's listening to this and they're feeling quite stressed or things aren't panning out as they expect them to, I think it's a fantastic book to read. I just love that. Some people think there is one path and there is one destination and you have to stick to that path or stick to that destination. But I think as human beings, we're constantly evolving. Um, our characters are developing. Our friendships are changing. Um, so if you're not uh, flexible and agile and willing to change, then you you can end up being quite stuck. I mean, what what do you think, Emily? I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's why things like your podcast or even one of the reasons I wrote the book was to give people the tools to navigate the adventure that is life. Because I say to someone the other day, actually, I said, life is just a big treasure hunt and I'm just looking for the treasure as I go. And that's a real change in how I've approached my life, because it used to be I thought if I sit here and think hard enough, I'll work out the right goals and the right plan and then I'll execute it and everything will be great. And what I've learned And what I see my clients experiencing is even if you do that, when you get to that goal, then you think, well, what's next? So actually learning to really just enjoy life and see it as a big, big adventure, but then also having the tools to navigate that because it's not in some ways as easy as having a really set plan to follow. 
I was talking to one of my guests, Dr. Brennan Jacoby, a philosopher, and we were looking at the bigger picture. And if you think about it, the the world or the galaxy has been going on for billions of years, and we're just this tiny speck um, you know, in, in terms of time. So really, we shouldn't be taking ourselves and life too seriously. I mean, clearly, uh, on the micro level, there are important things. But if you think about the bigger picture, it's all about trying to put things into perspective. I mean, first of all, if anyone hasn't listened to that episode with Dr. Brennan, they should because it's fantastic. And I love that he's bringing philosophical ideas and approaches to just everyday living, because those kind of mental tricks about giving yourself some context and understanding. The other day, someone got really upset about something, one of my clients. And I said, will anyone be thinking about this or talking about this in five years time? And she said, no. And I was like, will anyone even be thinking or talking about this in six months time? And she said, probably not. So I was like, okay, so why are you getting so worked up about it? And I think we do need these mental models or these maps and tools to help us put things in perspective. I mean, I was just thinking this morning while I was out running with my dog and there was something I was slightly annoyed about in my personal life. And I just thought, well, but I live in this lovely house in this lovely village. I have this wonderful dog. I'm healthy. I have great friends. Compared to so many other people in the world, I am extremely privileged and so lucky. And so this one small thing that's bothering me, it's really, I have to remind myself it's really minor and I have such a wonderful life and and it's but it's having those practices that help you put things back in perspective. It's funny you say that, as I'm sure there are lots of listeners at work. There's a miscommunication, and sometimes you cross that line and you start seeing red. And I think it's at that point you really have to dial it back because you you just can't go go there, uh, and that can be a very career limiting move and over very trivial issues as well. And I'm sure you would have seen this when you were working in investment banking. I mean, first of all, yes, I I have been one of the people who lost it. <laughs> definitely I've definitely done that although it's interesting because I think we always frame things as something's wrong or right and actually sometimes standing up for yourself in a strong way is defending a boundary so I don't think we always need to aspire to constantly be like these zen calm gods but actually if you can learn to be zen and calm on the inside and that will help you navigate the bumps so is, is it worth me kind of starting at the beginning with how I've ended up here from investment banking yeah of course Emily yeah yeah please go ahead Fantastic. So for anyone who didn't uh, listen to episode nine, although you should go back and listen to it, of course, I'm going to try and do a really brief career history. I studied economics at Warwick and then I went into investment banking and became a research analyst through a couple of jumps on the way. And I loved it, but it was quite intense, long hours, high pressure. And I was also suffering from kind of imposter syndrome, a bit of anxiety. And it culminated in me experiencing burnout age 24. So I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I got a lot of help from a nutritional therapist. And that's where my journey with well-being began. And that inspired me to do a degree in nutritional therapy and to want to help people, particularly people who have demanding careers, to take care of themselves. But I didn't leave banking straight away. I actually stayed for 14 years. I moved to RBS, had a great time there and ultimately became head of leadership, setting up the leadership coaching team there. And then I left in 2016 to set up my own coaching business and to work one-to-one with people, coaching them on their careers, but also doing lots of workshops and public speaking around well-being topics, resilience, mindset, all these things that I think have become so much more talked about and more on the well-being agenda in the last few years. And and you've won some awards recently as well, Emily. You shouldn't uh, should tell our <laughs> listeners about that. 
Oh, thanks, Ashley. Yeah, well, I won Coach of the Year, which was incredible last year in the in the Greater London SME Awards. And then pr- prior to that, I've also been awarded the top multidisciplinary speaker, which is great because you know, there's you know, for a long time, everyone talked about this just one thing book. I can't remember who wrote it about we should just pick one thing to focus on. And I'm just not that person. I like to study lots of different modalities, lots of different tools. And so I talk on lots of different topics and I don't just have one keynote. I talk on lots of different things. And, you know, for a long time, people say, oh, Emily, you should pick your one thing. So actually getting an award for being the best multidisciplinary speaker, I felt exonerated, actually. Mm -hmm. And that it's great that I can talk on lots of different topics. And I love speaking to new audiences so I'm I'm really blessed uh, in the work that I do oh, brilliant and, and I think it's nice to be able to mix things up because sometimes if you focus on just one thing you can become a little stale so having the ability to move from one area to another is, is great but doing just going back to your career I really like the way that um and and you've mentioned this before how you move from being a pure analyst to other roles which more play to your strengths. And I think that's a really helpful um, story for our listeners, because some of them may be thinking, I'm not happy where I am now, but uh, because it's not playing to your to their strengths. And it, it might help them to think about other potential avenues. Well, absolutely. And it's something I'm working on with my career coaching clients all the time. I think people will be happiest, most successful, most productive in jobs that align with their strengths and their personality. That's something I've really developed in my new book is actually thinking about your personality as well and the environments in which you're your best self. And so when I was a research analyst, there were some things about that environment that were great for me. I was in capital markets, which was extremely fast paced. And I do like to operate at 100 miles an hour. So that was fantastic. I worked with incredibly smart people that I learned a lot from So there was lots I loved about it, but I just didn't feel like I could be really great at it. And I found it quite stressful. And one of the reasons was that I was spending 12 hours a day basically staring at Excel spreadsheets. And you know me as a person. I'm such a people person, actually. And I'm a real extrovert. And I'm much better in a way with people than with numbers. So although my degree said I could do that job and and I could do it to a reasonable level, It wasn't really playing to my true strengths, which is really working with people, building relationships, influencing others and enabling people and helping people be their best. So it wasn't until I got a job as a manager that I suddenly really hit my stride. So when I went to RBS, it was a kind of sideways move, but they gave me my first team. They took a chance on me. And as soon as I was managing people, I thought, no, this is what I meant to do. And so suddenly I was managing people. I was having to influence others, build relationships with different departments, troubleshoot. And I was doing all these things that I'm naturally really good at and I really enjoy. So then even though I worked long hours, it was less stressful because I was really enjoying it and I felt like I was really succeeding. And so through leaning into what I was good at and what I liked doing, I performed better and better. And then in the weirdest twist twist of fate, because I was performing so well, there was a restructure in the research department that I was in at the time And they needed to appoint a new head of fixed income research for Europe. And they chose me, which to a lot of people didn't make a lot of sense. But they chose me because I was so great with people, good with troubleshooting. I needed to manage this department through change into another restructure. And someone just put my name forward and said, well, why don't you think about Emily? 
So I got to be head of research without being a great research analyst, actually because I acknowledged I wasn't a great research analyst and tried to do another job and play to my strengths. So if you're really in a role and you you feel like you're constantly struggling and you're not quite hitting your form, hitting your pace, stop and have a think. Maybe you aren't quite in the right job. And if you found something that played to your strengths, which maybe in my case on paper was a less well-paid job, it could lead to so much more success in future. And certainly you'll have a better time of it. No, and I think there's some really great points coming out of that. I think firstly, this idea of standing out, because it's no good just being average or mediocre or something. It's really important to think how you can stand out and how you can distinguish yourself from your peers. Because whether you like it or not, unfortunately, you are um, not competing with, but you are being compared to the people that you're working with. So if you can't stand out uh, from them, and I'm not saying it should be in some sharp elbowed sort of way, but it's important to distinguish yourself from them. But I think that point about leadership is so important because you don't have to be the greatest at the technical role. But if you can be a good leader, then that is so important. And there are very different roles between the technical side and the leadership side. And, and I suppose some for some of our viewers, they may be good at the technical side, but not so good at the leadership side. I mean, what would you suggest for people who are not natural leaders? Well, I think it's leadership is something you can learn so you don't have to naturally be good at it you know if you're in a job that requires really high math skills some people just won't get there that's not their thing but leadership's a lot of soft skills that you can develop and a lot of emotional intelligence and the research on emotional intelligence shows that we can keep developing emotional intelligence as a muscle even into our 70s so I think first of all just recognizing where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and if your weaknesses around leadership but you want to be a leader design your own curriculum you know listen to content yeah. like these fan- fantastic podcast episodes that you do harsh read books on the on the subject and just write down a plan of here are the things I'm actually not good at and create yourself a little educational plan of how you're going to get better at them challenges you're going to take courses you're going to go on Some employers will offer great leadership training. And in fact, RBS, we did get some fantastic leadership training that I went on all about flexible leadership, adapting your style to others, which was so helpful. But just don't rely on your employer. I want you to come up with your own learning curriculum and find different resources and improve those skills. And I think one of the most important skills in leadership, and in fact, I think one of the most important skills actually at work is how we relate to other people. And a lot of people don't think about their relationships to other people, how they can improve those, you know, how you can, as you said, keep your cool under pressure. How can you make sure that in a in a situation you don't become overbearing or you don't start becoming the victim? And these dynamics are things I end up talking about with my clients all the time, but you don't tend to be taught about them when you're at work. People are just talking about productivity, hitting targets, how do we hit this sales goal? So these are some of the skills that if you actually recognize you're not good at them and you stop and learn them, you can then outperform everybody because these tools around relating to people, understanding psychology, once you get that, I think you have a bit of a career superpower and and people will be much more successful and be better leaders at the same time. 
No, I, I just love that, Emily. And actually, a lot of this stuff is in your book, but we'll come on to that, you know, uh, in a little bit. But but one one thing um, that I did want to sort of uh, get your thoughts about were, yeah, clearly you know, you're a career coach and you've been doing that for for some time. Now these are very difficult uh, times in the job market. What thoughts do you have for people who are you know looking for work or want to transition into new areas? It, it is very challenging, and my clients are finding that at the moment. But you just need one job. Yeah. You just need one person to say yes to you. So don't panic if you're in that state. Some people panic and they just try and get anything. I always say stop, think, grow. So really stop and think about what you want, not just now, but what you want in the future and what would be the stepping stones to get there from a career perspective. Because it's not always the obvious path that gets you where you want to go. And then do this work. Really stop and think about your strengths and what you're good at. Because what you want is you want to go and interview for a job where you are exactly what they're after. So often I have clients where they're really trying to force themselves into a role and or they go into an interview saying, I'm not really what they're looking for. And that's OK. It's still worth trying. But I think if you get very clear on what you're good at, there will be a company out there that really wants what you have to offer. So it's being very good at articulating that both in a CV, a covering letter. And then with my clients, I will put them through interview practice. So I will play the bad cop interviewer and I will interview them, ask some tough questions and help them get better and better at articulating what their strengths are. I'm always saying to people, take advantage of your advantages. So rather than comparing and despairing and looking, thinking, well, these other candidates have X, Y, Z, think about what advantages do you have over the other candidates? What can you bring that's different to someone else? And make sure you really emphasize that. And then when you find the right role, the other person interviewing you will be delighted that you've got those strengths and it will be a match made in heaven. But you've got to do the work and reflection to get there. Oh, yeah. And, and I love that point about trying to see how you are unique and different from people. And this is a very silly story that came about when I was interviewing for my very first graduate job. So we we had a one of these half day uh, sessions where you meet the people who are going to be interviewing you. And I came across this person and I didn't think she was interviewing me. So I was quite relaxed. So I was just talking <laughs> about some nonsensical stuff. And then I'd been to see this classical music concert a few days ago. So I suddenly started talking about that not that I know much about classical music and she knew nothing about it so she thought I was an expert on it um, and I didn't think anything of it but for some reason she ended up interviewing me she thought I was an expert in this you know silly area which clearly I wasn't but it completely flipped that switch around about you know her being the expert and I was a novice and that helped us sort of form a connection and you know, the interview went really well so you never know at what point your uniqueness can stand out and it's really important to try and think how you can set yourself apart from other people there's a there's another really important lesson there in your story Harsha which I love is about being relaxed because you didn't even know you were being interviewed. So you're much more relaxed and much more authentic. And again, a lot of people go into interviews trying to play a part. Yeah. And they then get really nervous because they're trying to give the right answer. And actually, I really want my clients to go into an interview and just be really authentic and relaxed. And one way to do that is to accept that you don't know if this is the right job for you. If you if you feel like, oh, this job is 100% the right job for me, then you'll create a lot of internal pressure around it and that'll make you quite nervous. Whereas if you think I'm just going in this converse, in this conversation to see if I can help this company and to see if this is a fit for me, it becomes a more relaxed conversation and you come across as much more of a confident candidate. 
And ultimately, it's the interviewer's job to then decide if you're right for the job. But it's about how do we help ourselves be relaxed and authentic in those conversations? And I've had lots of candidates where they've gone for an interview that they've kind of seen as a kind of practice interview. So they've not really cared. And then that's the job they get offered because they were just really being themselves. And it came across and it's, you know, they stood apart from the other candidates who are really nervous and overthinking their answers. It's like when you're looking for a girlfriend or boyfriend, it never happens. But if you're not, it suddenly happens. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we always end up talking about dating. But dating and careers, they're so similar. I mean, the other thing I always say is you've got to kiss a lot of frogs <laughs> when you're interviewing. <laughs> you know, you've got to go for lots of interviews and be okay with the fact they won't all pan out. And again, I think people quite rightly don't like being rejected. So they avoid applying for jobs that they think they won't get. And often they sell themselves short. I, I'll, I'll ask a client, what's your dream job? They'll tell me the name of the company and what the job is. And then I'll say, have you applied for it? And they'll say, oh, no, I'm not ready. So they're sabotaging themselves because they don't want to be rejected. You know, you don't mind when you're dating. You don't mind being rejected by someone you don't really like because you think it will really hurt if they reject you. So I think we have to get rid of this fear of rejection in the in our job search And again, the people who get over it are much more successful because they come across as more confident. Yeah. And and I like that point about, you know, uh, being consistent and just going out there, because I think in life, people sometimes are waiting for these really big moments or these really big um, uh, things, aha moments. But actually, if you're consistent over a long period of time, uh, so you're consistently applying for jobs, you're consistently interviewing. I mean, even with the podcast, it's that consistency over a long period of time, which I think creates uh, hopefully good um, content. And then hopefully uh, in your job search, you'll get the right job. Um, what, what are your thoughts, Emily? Absolutely. I think your career is a very long game. It's not a sprint. It really is a marathon. And it's just consistently the little things that we do day to day, week by week, whether it's in a job search and we're just spending five, 10 minutes a day looking for roles or messaging recruiters or whether we have a job we like, but we're sitting there thinking, how do I get promoted? And we just spend five, 10 minutes a day working on that, whether it's reading up on our industry so that we become more of an expert whether it's booking a coffee with a senior person who could become a mentor. You know, it's it's like that book, The Compound Effect. It's those little actions that we take over and over again that lead to great success. And all too often we see people who are very successful um, and we think, well, that success is overnight success. And most people you ask, that would have been 10 years in the making. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't mean to, to make everyone think that everything's 10 years away that they want to achieve, but it is these consistent things. And sometimes it's doing things without knowing why you're doing them. Definitely, there have been points in my career where I was having a harder time. I was kind of toughing it out, just putting in the work every day, getting myself through it, but having faith that it would lead somewhere good. So you don't always know exactly where you're going or why you're doing something, but just applying yourself consistently. You know, you talk about stoicism on your excellent podcast with Dr. Brennan and the stoic mindset of even if things aren't going well, you don't get to just mope and hide away. Actually accepting that that is part of life, that things won't always be kind of unicorns and rainbows and you keep putting the work in and then you will find miraculously a few months later, suddenly things will improve and you'll be glad that you didn't give up and you kept going. No, I just love all those points. And now, finally, moving on to your book, Maximum You. Ah, yes. No, I, I love. <laughs> no, I, I love the idea of understanding yourself and being true to yourself because I do think um, life is so much about really understanding who you are, 
what is your motivation why we do the things that we do and if you can really do that and understand yourself that gives you so much power because then you'll not end up doing things you know for other people or for the sake of your peers or for your family or for society so why did you write it and can you give a quick overview so it's about living authentically i would say and to your point there nowadays there's so much external noise telling us what we should want, telling us what will make us happy, what career we should have, how our lifestyle should look, even how we should look physically. There's so much external noise. And so I think a lot of people think they know what they want because they know what's projected onto them. And I do think a lot of people know what they're not happy about in their lives. But when I ask clients the questions, what do they truly want for themselves? What truly makes them happy? A lot of them actually struggle to answer that question. And I was there, I was that person who knew I wasn't happy but didn't know exactly what to do about it and couldn't really tell you what I wanted for myself. And actually, I was very fortunate in 2016, I went and did something called the Hoffman process. And the Hoffman process is like doing 10 years of therapy in a week. It's pretty intensive. But one of the things they do is they strip away all that external messaging and they help you reconnect with yourself. And it's something I've used so much. and It's something I use in my coaching. So part of writing the book was to give people a set of tools so that if they didn't want to go and have a coach or go and do something as intense as the Hoffman they could just take some time to answer these questions and really reconnect with themselves and understand what they want what they need what's good for them what environments are conducive to them you know living what I call a maximum new existence which is being really authentic and it's not always a happy life but generally when people live this way they are more joyful they are kinder to others and I I wanted to put that in a book and the other thing is authenticity gets talked about so much but I think it gets used as a bit of an excuse. Some people use authenticity as an excuse to be really selfish. Or sometimes someone will just go around giving out their views and advice to everyone and just say, oh, I'm just being me. So I kind of wanted to reclaim authenticity and put in the book about how to be responsible with it. And actually, if you want to be authentic, how you need to accept other people as themselves and even your responsibilities as a role model. So I wanted to give people a really practical guide, but it didn't start out that way. I was trying to write a book on nutrition. I really wanted to help people take care of their health. But every time I wrote it, I got stuck because there's no one diet that works for everybody. But if you want to sell a book on diet and food, you need to come up with this kind of big thing that everyone can do, the diet that will make you live forever and be really young and thin and be super healthy. But when you study nutritional therapy, you learn that everyone's different and there's no one right diet. So I kept trying to write this book and realizing I couldn't really write it because it would have to be so individual. So when I when I sat down actually at the start of the pandemic lockdown and I had a bit of time on my hands and I thought, OK, you want to write a book, but this book isn't working. So rather than flogging a dead horse, just start writing down what you've learned as a coach and what you've learned even in your life. And so I did, I started it without plan for the book. I didn't know exactly what it would be about. And this is what came out. So this is also a very authentic book in how it's been written because I didn't kind of write it to order. I just wrote what I was thinking and feeling. Yeah, and I love that because I think this whole idea of yeah authenticity. Yeah, you you obviously you want to be your own uh, true personality, but you do have to be mindful of other people's feelings, and and just being selfish or unpleasant, uh, and saying, well, that's my authentic self, isn't sort of good <laughs> enough. And you do have to have that self awareness. 
And, and I think it's almost like there's this range of uh, sort of being. So some people are more introvert, some people more extrovert, some people are more generous, some people are more selfish. So say if you're on the more generous side, do be careful about offering to do everything for everybody, because then you're just going to spread yourself far too thinly. So I think this whole idea of really understanding where you are, and I think there's a, there's this sort of range on a, on a number of different things. It could be that with spreadsheets, um, you're not that great, but it could be with dealing with people, you are. So it's really trying to think, uh, bring it down to the micro level. And it's really only you analyzing that uh, and maybe speaking to somebody or speaking you know, whether it's a coach or a friend and really diving deep that's how you're going to figure these things out I agree with all of that and I think one of the key realizations I had in my own life and that I work on with clients is that we repeat patterns of behavior over and over again and some of them are great and some of them yeah. aren't helping us and so one of the key things to do in reflection that I've put in this book is to stop and think about the patterns of behavior or the situations that you keep finding yourself in. So <clears throat> to your point about people kind of over generous, I would say one of the things that I see a lot with my clients is what we call the hero archetype. So I'm very fortunate. I seem to attract very lovely, helpful, capable clients. So in their work, they're performing really well and they really like helping others. So every time someone has a problem, they fix it. Every time someone drops the ball, they step in and, and pick it up. And they're extremely capable. So obviously that, that's really valuable within that business. But the problem is they end up not just doing their work, but everybody else's. Yeah. And actually, if they're a leader, they end up doing everyone's work instead of delegating out and empowering others. So you might even see that as a good thing. But to your point, these people then become exhausted and they don't achieve their own goals and they start to resent other people. And so just recognizing if you're going through those patterns over and over again, part of Maximum You is recognizing your responsibility, the part you play in that. So every time you step in to help someone, every time someone comes to you with a problem and you drop what you're doing and help them, you are training them to keep coming back to you every time they have a problem. And you're training them not to problem solve themselves. You know, with children, if every time they have a problem, you give them a solution, they don't learn how to problem solve. So one of the things I really wanted to share with people in this book is recognizing those patterns, understanding the part you play, and then learning how to change that. You know, a simple thing is when someone comes and asks you for help, maybe you don't feel like you can say no, you just say, I'll come and help you in a couple of days. And in those couple of days, they probably solved the problem themselves. Or you might say, well, I can't help you with that right now, but why don't you ask Harsha? And you might kind of, you know, pass the hot potato on to someone else. But just little things that you can do every day to start creating healthier boundaries so that people don't treat you like a doormat. And as you said, there's there's people who are also overly dominant who need to work on small steps so that they step back and leave space for other people. But we need to stop and recognize these patterns and work on ourselves in order to be better in how we relate to other people. I love this point you make about patterns, because I do think life does repeat itself. Um, and the way you interact with other people does repeat itself. And if, if things are going well, that's great. But if they're not, then it's really about thinking, okay, what did I do wrong? You know, take responsibility for my actions. I mean, clearly, you could be working with a terrible person, but you can't change them. Uh, and hopefully you're, that's not going to be forever, but you have to think about what can I do to maybe cool things down, 
manager situation or manage my exit from the company if things are really that bad. But I think it's about trying to take responsibility for what you can control because you, you can't change that other person. I mean, what, what do you think, Emily? When you have a difficult boss or when you feel like you have a difficult boss, there can be lots of different things at play. Firstly, this is a great opportunity for you to work on your influencing skills, relationship building skills, just managing up, which we all have to do at certain points. I've had clients have great success actually with really difficult bosses because it's it's taught them so much about psychology and power dynamics and how to relate to people. So first of all, it is an opportunity. Secondly, you don't want to spend your career being miserable. You shouldn't be constantly working for people who are really hard on you, not supportive, not in your corner, not good bosses. So don't put up with it indefinitely. Learn what you can and then move on and work for someone who's going to really appreciate and develop you and you're going to learn from them. And by the way, a good boss doesn't mean they're necessarily always easy, but they're going to stretch you and get the best from you. So I think move on from that. But coming back to this idea of patterns of behavior, if you find yourself over and over again working for really difficult people, you should stop and think about why that is. What is it about your um, job search and your interview process that means you're ending up in these roles and you're not saying no to these people when they offer you jobs or you're not spotting what kind of person they are? And that's when we really need to kind of stop and reflect and understand our part in that and say, okay, what can I do differently so that I end up working for someone really great? And then I'd say the final point is sometimes when our boss is being hard on us, we think they're a horrible boss, but it's just that we're in the wrong job and they're getting frustrated with us. So again, taking time to go, am I really in the right job or is there something I'd be better at? So for me, someone who moves at 100 miles an hour, I actually was once in a team that that operated at much slower pace and I got some feedback that I was pushing everyone too hard. And I honestly, I was, I, I hold my hands up, I was. And actually I got the feedback, you're, you're operating too quickly. And my response was to say, no, everyone else is too slow. Too slow. Okay. And that, that obviously showed complete lack of self-awareness and it was a long time ago. But then I stopped and thought about it and I thought, no, they're right. I'm not operating in the best way as a leader. I'm not getting the best from people. So I took that feedback on and I adopted it. And at the same time, I thought to myself, for me to really be my best, I need to be in an environment that is more fast paced. So I also looked to move into an area that that moved quicker. So sometimes if you're clashing with your boss, it's, it's no one's fault. It's just that you're not in the right job. So really stop and think about the kind of environment that you work best in, the kind of people you work best with, what your strengths are. Sometimes we don't realize what our strengths are because they're things that come so naturally to us that they just seem really easy. So what are the things that you find really easy? And then if you can find a role that's working with the right kind of people in the right environment, doing the work that you're naturally good at, you're much more likely to be appreciated by your boss and be promoted. And that's definitely been my own experience as well. No, I just love that. And another point that I picked up from that chapter was uh, on careers was this whole idea of fear and self-doubt, imposter syndrome, because I think in life, fear is something that stops us from doing so much. And sometimes it's not real fears. They're just in our mind. And you know, clearly, I'm not a psychologist, you're not a psychologist, so we're not giving sort of mental health advice. But I think 
do look at what it is that is worrying you. I mean, say with um, like a, a silly thing, we've got tax season coming up soon. And a lot of people put off doing their tax returns because they think, oh, it's going to be complicated. There's a lot of paperwork to shuffle around. But actually, when you get down to it and actually take action, it's not that hard. And you're then you think, why didn't I do this before? But so actually, I think with fear and creating these fears in our mind about our job or how people perceive us can be quite damaging. So I think, first of all, it's it's completely natural to have imposter syndrome and to have fear. And we need to be kind to ourselves and recognize our brain is set up for a very different world to the one that you and I live in. It hasn't really evolved that much in the last couple of generations. You know, a few hundred years ago, we would have been under daily threat, whether that was famine or being attacked by an animal or another person. And if you look around the world today, there are still people who live with that threat every single day. So it makes sense that we have a brain designed not for happiness, but survival. So our survival brain looks for risks and threats everywhere. So an example is your boss comes into work, he's hungover and grumpy, and he's getting divorced and no one knows about it. So this guy is not in a good mood. You ask him a question and he snaps at you. And you immediately think, oh, I've asked a stupid question. My boss doesn't like me. I'm going to lose my job. And that's your risk management part of the brain looking out for risks to your survival, which ultimately for most of us, the main risk would be we don't earn any money anymore. Yeah. But it's got nothing to do with you. It's actually all to do with your boss and how he's feeling about himself. So I think one of the key things to do is just to learn to question our perception of something. And I like to just be a little bit of a lawyer in my brain and say, well, what's the evidence that this is true? Is there any evidence that I'm about to lose my job and my boss hates me? Probably not, actually. Is there another explanation for this? Let's try and figure out, let's just hypothesize, is there another reason he could be like this? So that's a good way of managing that kind of fear response that we have. But on the other side of it, we need to keep challenging ourselves to face our fears. Because if you avoid things because you're afraid of them, your kind of area of comfort of things you're willing to do just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we saw it in the pandemic particularly people who are quite introverted, they lost a lot of their confidence being out and about. And so they found it really hard to go back into the office after after they were allowed to go back. So finding small ways to challenge yourself to make that kind of circle of comfort go out. And I don't mean facing big fears every day. If 10 out of 10 is like your most stress, say 10 out of 10 is you speaking in front of an audience of thousands of people. I'm thinking about do things that are rate about a three or a four out of 10. Do one thing a day that makes you slightly stressed, whether it's speaking up in a meeting with senior people or even just introducing yourself to a new colleague. If you find that difficult, I had one client who just found strangers difficult. So I'd get him to chat to the barista every day in Costa. And then he started chatting to people next to him in the queue and all these things. So just gradually challenging yourself a little bit every day to do something outside of your comfort zone. That gives you confidence, not just in that area, but in all areas. And that's a really key way to overcome imposter syndrome is to just keep facing our fears a little bit at a time. And it gives our brains a chance to gather evidence that the world didn't end when you spoke up in the meeting or when you chatted to the barista. So we need to gather evidence that builds our confidence. No, I I just love that. I mean, I think uh, accepting failure um, and things not going well is so important. And one of my previous podcast guests, uh, Alex Budak, he talks about uh, asking people for things until they say no. And it's amazing how 
uh, far people are willing to go. They just go up to, say, the coffee shop and say, can you give me a f- one free coffee? And the guy says, or girl says, yes. And then they say, can you give me another one? And they probably get to two or three until the guy says, look, there's no way I can give you more coffee. So it does show that if you ask, um, uh, you know, you've got much more chance, likelihood of things going well. So don't uh, almost self-limit yourself. That That is so important. Um, so from your book, um, I just like the whole idea of, you know, careers are yeah, obviously a, an important part of our lives, but they bleed into so many other things and so many of the techniques we use in managing our career can be applied to other areas of your life. Are there any other points that you think are worthwhile emphasizing, uh, which our readers, or sorry, our listeners should focus on? Uh, and by the way, do buy the book. <laughs> oh, yeah, please do buy the book. I mean, I've really tried to put so much in there so that you can get the benefits without having a coach. You can just do it yourself. But you're right. Career isn't, you know, our career isn't in isolation. We experience our career. Then we come home from work and we're around our families and they have to deal with what happened at work that day. So I want that's why I ended up writing such a holistic book, even not talking about nutrition, because if you want to be successful at work, you need to have energy, not just for your body, but for your brain, clarity of thought. So I would say the kind of key areas I would dip into if you're coming to my book from a from a career perspective. I think the the chapter on resilience, because it's so important in our careers, the chapter on well-being and making sure that you have the energy and the health to do your job. And then there's a chapter called maximum interactions, because as I said already, I think how we relate to people is so important. And I think it can be a source of great success if you learn to be good at it. And I think it's the source of most stress for people. It's not that their job is stressful. It's that their interactions with people about their job is stressful. Their interactions with their colleagues their interactions with their boss, they they worry about having to speak up about something. They feel bad when they receive some feedback. So I think learning to navigate those interactions um, is really important. So the last one is Maximum Adventure, the last chapter I think that's relevant, which is all about going out and trying new things, actually, which is great for getting to know ourselves better. But from a career perspective, we just broaden our horizons. You know, if you go out and do a new activity or meet new people, you're going to learn about different ways of living, different jobs people have. It might give you an idea for a business or something you want to do. And it's going to broaden your network. So rather than kind of staying in your comfort zone of your industry and the people that you work with, get out in the world, have a bit of an adventure. And it really is amazing the, the career opportunities that that can bring. I just love that, Emily. And finally, we're sort of coming to the end of our time. How can people get in touch with you? Um, I mean, clearly your book is out there on all good retailers. I I assume Amazon and all the other uh, different places on the internet. But how can people um, get in touch with you and learn more about your work? The best place to follow me and interact with me is LinkedIn. And that's the only real social media I do. So please follow me on there. I'm always trying to share things that I think are useful for people around their careers and building their confidence and living authentically. Maximum U is on Amazon. And we also have a website, maximumu.co.uk, which has extra resources to help you in this journey. Fantastic. And Emily, it has been so much fun having you on the show. Uh, I wish you luck with Maximum U. And one final thing, is there anybody you'd like to give a quick shout out to who's helped you in your life or career? Just one or two people. Okay. Well, harsh you always. Thank you. Thank you for squeezing <laughs> me in. I know you have a, a full slate of people to talk to. So thank you so much. 
Yes, a couple. Aaron Phipps, who's the most inspiring guy I know. He's a Paralympian. He's got an amazing story of resilience and he's my mentor and just always encouraging me. So the final one is actually a book recommendation. I'd like to recommend this book, Fly Higher by Sarah Furness. I met Sarah at a conference we were both presenting at last year. And she is a ex-RAF combat helicopter pilot. She was the first special ops helicopter pilot who's a woman incredibly inspiring woman who's written this really practical book about how to have a resilient mindset and and improve your productivity at work and so many books can be quite conceptual on this topic but hers is really no nonsense so i'd like to finish with that recommendation oh fantastic so emily it has been so much fun uh, having you on the show i uh, really appreciate you taking the time and good luck with maximum you uh, i'm sure uh, our listeners will find great value from it Um, So take care and thanks again for taking the time today. Thank you, Harsha. It's been such a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers. And subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.